We begin news for October 8 with this piece on the plague. It is 24 hours today since the last case of plague appeared in Brisbane, and as during that time only some two or three rats have been found infected, it may be taken as good evidence of the stamping out of the epidemic. There were no developments yesterday, except of the most pleasant kind, Miss James being released and the remaining two patients being expected out shortly. The returns on Friday showed over 90 dead rats brought in, and of the lots submitted to Mr Pound for the last two days, there were none found infected. This piece of news on plague recovery in Queensland comes to us from the Brisbane Courier. For October 8, 1900, this was the news. podcast that takes the news from this date many years ago and shares it with you in one news bulletin. I'm Broderick Matthews, bringing you the stories from a time when pandemic diseases came from rats, not bats. Welcome back to another week of This Was The News. Stories coming from today, October 8, but back in the year 1900. Many decades ago, when the world seems to be at war. The first big fight going on was the Boxer Rebellion, which was in full swing in China, with the Chinese efforts to drive out foreigners from the country, and the following news was summarised in brief in the Daily Telegraph. The powers have agreed to Germany's note in regards to the conditions upon which peace negotiations will be opened. The French government proposes a comprehensive basis of negotiations when the Chinese negotiators' credentials have been verified. America and Japan insist upon the Emperor of China's return to Peking before negotiations are open. It is reported that Great Britain and Germany have been working in harmony throughout and are resolved to attain a genuine settlement. There's a sentence there that you wouldn't necessarily expect in a time of war, but of course this is 1900 before the world wars have occurred. Meanwhile, the sentences continue. At Shanghai, it is considered that the recent imperial edicts were attempts to hoodwink the Allies. It is believed that highly inflammatory edicts have been issued and that China intends to defy the Allies. Meanwhile, Germany has taken over the Taku Pekin Railway from Russia and has promised to restore it to British control. That's just one more happening, though. This article in the Herald goes on to make comments on the African continent, where the Australians were part of the Commonwealth and fighting the Boer War. Lord Roberts states that peace will be declared when the Boer leaders have submitted and every cannon has been surrendered. Nearly 16,000 Boers have now surrendered and there is a daily increase in the number submitting. The army in South Africa demands that Boer prisoners found in possession of explosive bullets should be shot. The Boers, after shelling General Buller's position at Kruger's post in the eastern Transvaal, succeeded in removing their big guns. Great Britain's war purchases in America now total 16,000 horses, 42,000 mules and £2 million forth of forage. Yes, that's a whole lot of forage there to feed all those horses and mules. Finally, 80 of the Australian invalided soldiers have been entertained at Windsor Castle and commanded to tea by the Queen. Speaking of the Queen, the same article continues on with some local news commenting on the Queen's representative heading to Australia. 
Yes, they're talking about Lord Hopeton, who's travelling to Australia to become the first Governor-General. Lord Hopeton is to land unofficially in Sydney on December 12, and not on November 12, as previously arranged. Yes, remembering this is October 8 now, folks, Lord Hopeton is just now leaving England to get to Australia in two months' time, ready for the federation of the country and the naming of a federal capital, too. Speaking of the capital, this article in the Goulburn Herald talks of Yass and its possibility of being our capital city. On Saturday last, the Premier and a number of members of Parliament visited Yass for the purpose of viewing suggested sites for the federal capital. The party left Sydney by mail train on Friday night and was welcomed at Yass by a large number of residents. Saturday was observed as a public holiday. In the morning, an address of welcome was read at the Mechanics Institute, after which the party proceeded to the site the people of Yass had selected for the federal capital. With the Premier in front and a uniformed band at the rear, a cavalcade of varied description drove over the three miles of road and cross-country to the east of Yass, to the scene near Mount Bowning. The beauties of the spot were pointed out, and the superlative advantages of the site dilated upon by the promoters. After a brief stay for luncheon, the party was then driven to the other side of Yass, when another proposed site was inspected. This was on the Kenilworth estate. In the evening, the visitors were entertained at a banquet in the Mechanics Institute. The Premier, responding to the toast of the Ministry, jocularly referred to the occasion of his visit. He also referred to the eligibility of the site proposed, but said the matter would be decided by the Federal Parliament alone. Yes, even in other papers, some actually suggested that the Premier already knew where the capital site was going to be quite secretly. And of course, for those who know Canberra well, it's about 100 or so kilometres south of Yass, and so close, but not quite close enough for the people of Yass to be named the Federal Capital. There's plenty more news to come from this day in 1900, but before we do, let's have a short break. On the Peace Pipe. When reading the war news, be sure that you're smoking a pipe full of tobacco purchased at F. Bennett's. It is very soothing. Also remember, this is the place for the best shave, haircut or shampoo in town. Ever become chilled through and through? The acute sensation of cold is followed by feverishness and aches in all parts of the body. Finally, the whole trouble settles in the throat and lungs in the shape of a cough. There's nothing so bad for a cough as coughing. Ayers Cherry Pectoral will cure these chills and coughs. A few doses are sufficient at first. More time is required later on. Stop coughing and you will get well. Keep coughing and you invite bronchitis, pneumonia or even consumption itself. Better stop your cough at once and thus end the whole matter. Back to the news now, reading from October 8 in 1900. A very different time in Australia. As mentioned earlier, they were reaching towards federation, but 
the news itself was quite different as well. This piece in the Bendigo Independent talks about the perils of mining. A young breadwinner killed at the Great Northern Mine. We have enjoyed a long immunity from the dreadful fatalities which but too often occur in the mines of the district. The spell was, however, rudely broken on Saturday morning by an accident which occurred at the Great Northern Mine Eagle Hawk, resulting in the instantaneous death of a miner, a young husband and father named Alfred Riddell, a resident of Hagger Street. Riddell went on to work with the morning shift at seven o'clock, his mate being Frank Beasy. Yes, I don't often cover deaths in This Was The News, but I thought this piece well illustrated the dangers that many people faced in their day-to-day work. The article continues on. Riddell went on to work with the morning shift at 7 o'clock, his mate being Frank Beasy. They went to work in the 1780-foot level at 300 feet north from the shaft, and it was here that the accident occurred. Riddell was breaking down stone in the backs when a considerable quantity fell away and pinned him to the floor of the level, his leg being covered. Beasy, who escaped the falling stone, hastily went to his mate's assistance, but he was unable to shift the burden. He did not apprehend anything serious, but was horrified when several questions put to his comrade failed to elicit replies. The only time he spoke, he simply said in a calm voice, Take this on, mate. It pinches. Assistance being procured, the lifeless body, death having occurred instantaneously from shock, was brought to the surface, where Dr Jones, who was in waiting, pronounced life to be extinct. The body was then removed by the police to the railway station hotel. The deceased was just 26 years of age. His wife, who is in delicate health, has been staying for some time with friends at Malmesbury. The terrible news of her husband's death was telegraphed to her, and she arrived by the evening train. The funeral takes place today at the Eagle Hawk Cemetery. Yes, sad news indeed. Losing a young man down the mine. An occurrence that, while Bendigo hadn't seen it for a while, was far too common back in 1900. Now, I think that last piece highlighted the different sort of workforce that was happening in 1900, and this next piece does the same in a slightly different way. From the age in Melbourne, this piece is on the Anti-Sweating League. The Paran Town Hall was crowded yesterday afternoon when an anti-sweating demonstration was held under the auspices of the Paran PSA Association. Now, what's an anti-sweating demonstration, you might ask? It's not people putting on deodorant or anything like that. It was a group that was against sweatshops and that style of operation, and they were called the Anti-Sweating League in Australia. The article continues about the demonstration, saying that Councillor Kemp presided, and musical items were subscribed by Miss M. Waugh, Miss Samuels, and Messrs. Palamountain and Boyle. At least you're well entertained when you go to protest these sweatshops here. The article says, Mr S. Manger, MLA, gave an address on the work of the Anti-Sweating League and the benefits of factory legislation. Before the League started to work, he said, sweating was almost universal. It had now been very greatly reduced. 
Before, there was no minimum wage. Now, the minimum wage was almost universally adopted, bringing comfort to thousands of homes. And long hours of work had prevailed, especially in shops. But now, shop assistants, both male and female, were assured a weekly half-holiday, and the hours of work limited to 52 weekly. It's only 52 hours a week, folks, and a a weekly half-holiday too. Seems like a great deal, doesn't it? When you compare it to our 37 and a half hours a week now, for most full-time workers, it's uh, quite crazy to think of 52 hours a week work. But this was an advancement. The article continues to say that previously no record was kept of home workers. Now they were registered, and where wages boards have been appointed, better wages and shorter hours prevailed. In the course of his address, Mr Manger exhibited the first annual report of the Short Hours League, established in 1870, in which they were reported to be urging on the government to the adoption of the Eight Hours Principle. Another report from London that they read highlighted the horrors of the sweating system. The revelations of hideous suffering over work and want brought home for a brief space to the minds of the middle and upper classes of how the poor live. Thanks to the work of the Anti-Sweating League, said Mr Manger, similar horrors brought to light by the age in Victoria had been boldly faced and dealt with. The result was an enlightened public conscience, backed up by drastic legislation, the results of which were the improved position of the worker and the good of the whole community. In concluding his address, Mr Manger urged the further extension of protective legislation. Yes, it feels like a continual push, doesn't it, to get the rights of the worker in place so we can work well, but also have that work-life balance too. I'm glad we've made progress since 1900. Finally, in a bit of crime news, this piece from the Ballarat Star talks of forged telegrams. The postal authorities are now investigating the circumstances surrounding a forged telegram which may serve to prove that some person or persons who wish to break into the house of a well-known solicitor who lives in a southern suburb adopted a novel feint in order to ensure that the house should be empty when they began operations. About noon on Thursday, the wife of this gentleman received an urgent telegram purporting to be signed by her husband, which read, Come into town at once. Bring servant with you. Not knowing what might have caused her husband to dispatch the telegram, the lady instantly left for the city and directed her servant to follow her by the next train. Nobody was more surprised than her husband when she walked into his office and subsequent explanations proved that the telegram had been forged. Suspecting that it may have been a ruse on the part of a gang of housebreakers to draw the inmates away from the house, the solicitor immediately telephoned his next-door neighbour and asked him to watch the house until he went out. So far as can be learned, no attempt was made to force an entrance into it. Yes, folks, I think what we're hearing here is an early scam. Not across email, though, but across telegrams, because that was the technology of the time in which this scam could happen. And it wasn't the only case of this either. The article goes on to say that in a similar case recently, the occupants of the house took the precaution to persuade a neighbour to stay in it during their absence, and three men appeared soon after they had left and inquired for the lady of the house, consternation being depicted on their faces when the door was opened by a gentleman who answered the bell. 
the public should therefore be warned against putting too much faith in telegrams of the nature referred to. Yes, whenever there's a technology about, there's going to be people who try to fool you when they use it. So watch out for that spam email and watch out for those forged telegrams. Let's have a short break. To mothers only, mothers should see the marvellous value Charles Gilbert, the great juvenile clothier, is offering in boys washing blouses. These lines will go in a rush and cannot be replaced. Tell your husbands, brothers and sweethearts to compare Charles Gilbert's values and selection in ready-made clothing for summer wear. Half the price and more stylish in fit and appearance than many so-called order garments. I hear the Americans are going to give over using powder and shot in their war with Spain. How are they going to win then? By using St. Jacob's Oil. It conquers pain. St. Jacob's Oil for rheumatism, neuralgia, lumbago, sprains and all bodily pains. For toothache, bruises, sore throat, swellings and dislocations. It's good for horses and cattle and promptly relieves foot rot in sheep. It is, moreover, an established fact that every bottle contains a cure. Find it at all chemists. And we finish off with a couple of strange stories, of course, to round out the news of October 8, 1900. This first is an accident at the circus reported in the advertiser from South Australia. Two men were injured at Messrs Worth Brothers Circus on Saturday evening. The grand finale to the program, entitled Mr and Mrs Brown's First Visit to the Circus, had just reached the humorous climax, and the patrons had become excited when Mr J.W. Eskey, who was impersonating a schoolboy, and Mr Fred Valazzi, who appeared as Mrs Tottlebury Brown, were thrown off a wheel on which they had been riding. The former struck his head against one of the tent supports, but was able to walk out of the arena. Mr Valazzi, who suffered a crushing between the wheel and the wooden ring of the arena, had to be carried out. It was subsequently found that although no bones were broken, the last named had been severely injured about the loins and suffered great pain. The majority of the spectators seemed to accept the carrying out of Mrs Brown as part of the performance, and possibly for this reason, no panic was caused. It's amazing what can pass for entertainment. Finally, out of Broken Hill in New South Wales, the Barrier Miner reports on Lady Godiva. Several persons who were about early this morning got a bad shock on meeting a woman wandering about the streets in the costume worn by Lady Godiva on a historic occasion. She would, however, hardly pass as a model of that celebrated person. She certainly had a pair of lovely black eyes, but they were not the sort poets rave about. Neither had she the queenly carriage which the imagination associates with the Lady Godiva. For as a matter of fact, the roadway was hardly wide enough for her. Some liberal editorialising there by the barrier miner. Hmm. Well, I'm going to continue on though. 
One man who beheld this vision bathed in the early morning sunlight, pursuing her erratic course along Blen Street, became horrified. Putting his hands before his eyes, he rushed into Dr Graham's surgery and telephoned wildly for the police. Then he discreetly fled. The officer at the police station, having no romance on his soul, dispatched, of all persons, Tommy the Tracker with Constable O'Keefe to capture the lady in the altogether. She was locked up just as she was, and then the constables went out to find her raiment. Some of it they found at the rear of the Carrington Shades, where the lady had apparently disrobed last night, under the impression that she was retiring to her couch. She put on all the police could find, but she had to appear before the bench this morning, minus boots and stockings. She was charged with drunkenness, and though she was a first offender, she was fined ten shillings. And we close the paper on that little bit of drunken debauchery, coming to the end of today's bulletin. For October 8, 1900, this was the news. spoken and edited by Broderick Matthews. All source material is taken from the reference newspapers and found online through the National Library of Australia's Trove website. Links to each of the articles mentioned today can be found in the show notes. The theme music is from Beethoven's Symphony No. 6 and sourced under public domain from newsopen.org. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to subscribe and review it on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcasting app. This Was The News can be followed on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And any email correspondence should be sent to thiswasthenews at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode. The next episode will be out in a fortnight, released on Thursday, October 22. I'm Broderick Matthews, and this was The News.